Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. We're driven by the knowledge that the end will come when the good news about the kingdom is preached throughout the whole world so that all nations hear it. And so with this mission in mind, our prayer is this. It's on that first banner on the wall. Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to a story from John's gospel that is summarized by this prayer. It's a story that testifies to our resurrected Lord and our identity as a sent and empowered people. Please turn with me to John chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 19, but before we do so, I'd like to begin by giving you some context because this short story that we're going to look at this morning is actually part of a larger narrative. So taking place on Sunday evening, two days after Jesus' crucifixion, it's now the third day. I'm going to spoil the story here, but can anybody tell me what happened on the third day? The resurrection. Jesus rose to life. Jesus conquered death. Jesus defeated the grave. On that glorious Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, returned to the tomb and discovered that it was empty. Jesus was missing. And so she ran from the tomb and she found the disciples, John and Peter, and she cried out, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Immediately, Peter and John ran to the tomb and they too saw that it was empty and then they went home. But meanwhile, Mary, she stayed at the tomb and as she was weeping, she looked into the tomb and saw two angels who asked her why she was crying. And we hear her say, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. Jesus was still missing. But then as she turned to leave, she encountered the resurrected Jesus who said to her, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary went and she found the disciples and she said to them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. And that's where we pick up. Are you ready? All right, John 20, verse 19 to 23. Carly read it for us in the service, and I'm going to read it for us again. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. From 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's been three days, yet it's felt like an eternity. I haven't slept, haven't eaten. My eyes are dry and my head is pounding. Seated in a small room amidst the murmurs of my friends, the fear is palpable. We've heard rumors, but they seem unbelievable. I don't know how to make sense of what's happening. But suddenly, above the whispers, I hear a familiar yet distant voice. The room goes silent. Who is it that spoke? Then, looking around, I see him. I see Jesus, the one who died and was buried. He's standing right in front of me. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In John 20, 19 to 23, Jesus pays his disciples a visit. Having risen from the grave just hours before, only a handful of people have seen him. We can imagine the disciples' shock at seeing Jesus. I bet that some of their stories sounded just like the one I told you. And yet I wonder what surprised them most, Jesus' appearance or his message? Peace be with me. Jesus, I left you alone to die. You're sending me? Can't you see that I'm in hiding? Send someone else. But notice that shame and fear do not concern Jesus. In spite of their past and present behaviors, the resurrected Jesus calls his followers. He invites them to participate in his mission. And church, you are not exempt. One of the things that I love about this story is that Jesus meets his followers in the midst of their fear and their doubt. When Jesus sought his disciples on that glorious Sunday evening, he didn't find them in the streets proclaiming the good news. He found them hiding behind locked doors. Notice that John doesn't say a door, but doors. Having grown up in a home that had multiple doors, this didn't sound too out of the ordinary. But homes of that period and place were different from those that we live in today. They didn't have front, back, side, and garage doors. The odds are that the home in which the disciples lived had only one outer door. And so when John says that they locked the doors, we might compare it to locking the front door of your apartment and then locking the door to your bedroom, even though you're home alone. That's a lot of locks. And yet, can we blame the disciples? Just days before, they witnessed a horrific, earth-shattering event. Their friend, the one they'd done life with for three years, was murdered. The one Peter called the Messiah did not conquer the Romans as was expected, but was hung on a Roman cross. All hope was lost. And now Jesus' body is missing, and it won't be long before the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus come knocking on that door asking the disciples where the body is. They were powerful men. Even Pilate, the Roman governor, was afraid of them. So what would stop them from coming and arresting the disciples too? And what about Mary's message? Her eyewitness account that Jesus is alive, that he's risen, 
They didn't believe her. In the Gospel of Mark, he tells us that when Mary told the disciples that Jesus was alive and she'd seen him, they didn't believe her. They thought she was just speaking nonsense. And so in the words of scholar Edward Klink, on the greatest day in the history of the world, when God defeated death itself and inaugurated the restoration of his creation, his closest followers were not celebrating, but cowering in fear. The sweet refrain of, oh, happy day, was nowhere to be heard. But thanks be to God, locked doors don't stop Jesus. Now, how Jesus got into the room is a conversation for another time. John doesn't tell us, and quite frankly, he doesn't really seem to care. Instead, his focus is on the resurrected Jesus and the message that he brings. Jesus' first words to his disciples are, peace be with you. While this was a common greeting, maybe the equivalent of our modern day, hello, how are you? Jesus' repetition of the phrase in verse 21 suggests that it was more than just a greeting. It's worth noting that Jesus' message of peace isn't new. In John 14, Jesus spoke to his disciples about his departure from this world and the Holy Spirit's arrival. And at the end of that message, he said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Later in chapter 16, again, speaking of his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The peace that Jesus offers is not the peace of the world, but the peace of God, a peace which surpasses all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus, our Prince of Peace, of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. We could do an entire sermon series on the meaning of peace, but one of the things that stands out to me about Jesus' message is that he says it to the disciples who deserted him, the disciples who were not out declaring he is risen, but were hiding because of their fear. In my own experience, when I feel betrayed or abandoned by a friend, the last thing I wanna say to them is, peace be with you. Instead, I want to say something like, what's wrong with you? Why are you treating me like this? So when Jesus says, peace be with you, we hear an unexpected message, one that's infused with grace. And not only are his words infused with grace, but so are his actions. Acknowledging their doubt, Jesus shows them his scars. What's cool about scars is that they prove our identity. They serve as witnesses to some of the painful experiences that we've endured. A few summers ago, I burned myself with a hot glue gun at work. This burn wasn't just an ouch, that hurt kind of burn. This was a, I forgot where I put the glue gun and put my arm down on it kind of burn. Needless to say, there's a unique little scar on my wrist that proves that I am indeed the Morgan Clark who filled out an incident report with a hot glue gun injury. 
In a similar way, Jesus' scars proved to his disciples that he was the same Jesus who did life with them, was crucified, buried in the tomb, and raised to life. Often, I feel like rolling my eyes at the disciples. Like, seriously, guys, Jesus spoke to you about his death and resurrection multiple times throughout his life. How did you fail to connect the dots? And why are you hiding? After all you've seen and heard, you're choosing not to believe. But then I realized that in many ways, I'm not that different from the disciples. Just as Jesus' disciples locked the doors on that great evening, so I tend to lock the doors on various parts of my life, preventing me from experiencing the fullness of Christ. Perhaps some of the following statements will resonate with you. I'm afraid of being hurt, so I've locked the doors to relationships. I'm frightened to put myself out there, so I've locked the door to my career. I'm scared of being condemned by others, so I've locked the door to the church. Each one of us is afraid of something. All of us put up doors as some sort of protection. So what are you afraid of? What metaphorical doors have you locked? What's preventing you from experiencing the fullness of Christ today? Church, here's the bad news. On your own, you may never get over your fear and your doubts. But here's the good news. The resurrected Jesus, who is kind and compassionate, gracious and so incredibly patient, doesn't hesitate to enter into those places of fear and doubt that are preventing you from experiencing life with him. He takes you just as you are and invites you to step into his mission. And this is important. Jesus doesn't just present us with this feel-good, anxiety-reducing message. He actually calls us to move. Following his message, peace be with you, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent, there should be another slide there. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Reflecting the Greek language, another way to translate this phrase is, as the Father has sent and continues to send me, I am sending you. Don't be mistaken. When Jesus says, um, when Jesus says, I'm sending you, he's not saying, Peace out, guys. Here are my responsibilities. I'm off to enjoy my retirement in Florida. Instead, he's inviting us to step into his mission, to partner with him. When God sent Jesus into the world, he did so with a purpose. John says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Here we hear the heartbeat of Christian mission. Here we see that mission didn't begin when the church was born. It began with God long before the church and long before the incarnation of his son. You see, in the words of Stephen Siemens, mission was first an attribute of God before it was an activity of individual Christians or the church. 
Our God is mission-oriented. He's a God who sends, a God whose heart has always been for the nations. He's a missionary God. He sent his son to save us from our sins, and in turn, his son is sending us to proclaim the good news to the ends of the earth. What strikes me about Jesus' earthly ministry is that he constantly spoke of his divine mission, his divine sending. He never forgot his purpose. One day while teaching at the temple, Jesus said to those gathered, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Another time, Jesus said to the crowds, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Here's one last example. When Jesus spoke to his disciples about the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said, And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. When I consider these things, Jesus reminds me of a ballet dancer. I know it's a bit of a weird image, Jesus in a tutu, but bear with me. Throughout his ministry, Jesus constantly had people and things that were vying for his attention. They came at him from both left and right, above and below. At times, I'm sure it must have felt quite overwhelming, perhaps even dizzying. But like a dancer, Jesus had a focal point to prevent him from losing his balance. With every spin, Jesus would whip his head around and look right back at the Father. It was this focus that would eventually lead him to say, not my will, but yours be done. His earthly life, while all about him, was at the same time not all about him. Jesus' earthly ministry serves as an incredible example to us. As sent ones, our lives are not our own. This notion challenges Western culture. In a world that says it's all about you, it's all about how to get to the top of the corporate ladder, it's all about fulfilling your dreams and living your best life, we're reminded that God has invited us to participate in a mission that is so much greater than anything we could ever dream of. When Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, he said, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Jesus sends us into a world that is hostile to the message of the gospel. He sends us with a message that many will not understand. And yet he sends us with the only message that brings life. There is salvation in no one else. You're not saved by the faith of your parents. You're not saved by your honest work. You're not saved because you're a good person, whatever that means. You are saved by Jesus Christ alone. And church, there's a world full of people who don't know that. And I'm not just talking about unreached people groups overseas. I'm talking about people in our very backyards. You don't have to be an international worker to participate in the mission of God. 
He needs people to go, but he needs some people here too. Mission always begins right here where you are, and then it moves out. The disciples were first witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So where is God calling you? Maybe he's calling you to Jerusalem, to the city of Niagara Falls. Or maybe he's calling you to the ends of the earth to participate in short-term or long-term mission. But, and maybe you're not really sure where God is calling you. And that's okay. But would you accept his invitation to partner with him in the work that he is doing? Like Jesus, would your eyes be ever focused on the one who is sending you? Because church, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone else tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Bearing the good news of Jesus Christ can sometimes feel weighty. It can feel scary. It can be challenging. But while Jesus is no longer present with us in bodily form, he doesn't leave us to figure out his mission on our own. He doesn't ask us to complete it in our own strength by our own efforts. Rather, he equips us with a good gift. He gives us his Holy Spirit. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he empowered them with the Holy Spirit and gave them his authority. In other words, Jesus equipped his disciples for the ministry to which he called them. John says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What's interesting about John's word choice is that the Greek verb, emphusao, which is translated as breathe, is actually unique to the Old to the New Testament. It only happens once. But this verb actually occurs a couple of times in the Greek Old Testament, and there are two occurrences that I think are especially significant. The first occurrence is in the book of Genesis. Part of the creation narrative, Genesis 2-7 says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. This breath was not just a blow out your birthday candles kind of breath. Uh, rather, it was a breath that ignites, a breath that creates, a breath that brings to life. This word is used similarly by the prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 37, the Spirit of the Lord brought Ezekiel to a valley of dry bones, and the Lord asked him, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? The answer seems obvious, doesn't it? I mean, they're bones. There's no life in them. But God says to Ezekiel, Speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. And sure enough, the bodies that were once dead came to life. This inbreathing of the dead was an act of recreation, symbolic of what God would do to and for his people who were in exile. 
And so when John uses this language, we might conclude that he's talking about more than just a breath. When John, when Jesus breathes on his disciples, he's engaging in the creative work of the Holy Spirit, breathing life into the ones he's sending out into the world to participate in his work and serve as his representatives. In some way, God's equipping of the disciples reminds me a bit of a sports coach. Good coaches equip their athletes with the training and equipment that they need to succeed. These things protect the players from getting hurt, and they assist them to fulfill their mission, be it scoring on net, getting the fastest time, achieving the highest score. Good coaches also direct, challenge, and encourage the athletes their training. Like a good coach, God equips his people for the mission by giving him their by giving them his Holy Spirit. In John 14, when Jesus spoke to his disciples about his departure, he said, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. His Holy Spirit, who goes with us on mission, guides, teaches, reminds, comforts, corrects, and advocates on our behalf. He empowers us to do the work of God in the power and the authority of God. In our world, power and authority are often abused and idolized. So we must be quick to remember that our power and authority don't belong to us. They belong to God. While we might like to be in charge, it's not the case when it comes to the mission of God. This perspective, this I am not in charge, greatly influences how we read verse 23. Here, Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. While it might sound like forgiveness of sins is up to us, it's actually the business of God. Only God has the power to offer the type of forgiveness of which Jesus is speaking. Only God can deliver us from the power of sin. And yet, as participants of his mission, we play a significant role in the work of God because God has placed the message of forgiveness on our lips. He's made us responsible to communicate it to the ends of the earth. As his instruments, we're sent to tell the nations of the hope that we have and to warn them of the consequences of sin. Our words hold the keys to life and death. They have eternal value. And as a people who have received the forgiveness of God, we're not just messengers, but we're actually living examples of God's incredible gift to humankind. We embody the very message that we bring. In Luke 23, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Okay, catch this. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses to these things. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. This message is our message. This message is the message that the sending God has asked us to deliver. He invites us, as broken and as flawed as we may be, to deliver this message, to participate in its deliverance. 
Church, is our God not a gracious God? He invites us, even when we're afraid and doubtful, to participate in his divine mission. He sends us to the ends of the earth with the only message that brings life. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit that we might complete his work in his strength. And so my last question for you this morning is, are you ready? Are you ready to let God enter the doors that you've locked? Are you ready to give Jesus access to every part of your life? Are you ready to go? Some of you are currently engaged in the work of the mission of God, and well done. May I remind you to keep looking back to Jesus. Don't take your focus off of him. Remember that your power and authority belong to and come from God. Don't be tricked into believing that you can do it on your own strength. And for those of you who aren't sure what your place is in the mission of God, ask him. In fact, ask one another. In what ways are you participating in the mission of God? Can I join you? Do you want to explore some opportunities with me? You are never too young or too old to participate in his kingdom work. He invites all of you, just as you are, to partner with him. Church, you are witnesses of the resurrected Christ, tasked to proclaim his good news and to partner with him in his mission. Now go into all the world. As we transition back into song, uh, would you pray this prayer with me? Oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Come transform us to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.